Hey there, it's the Jim Eskimen Podcast, and uh, thank you for tuning in. I've been very sporadic this year, and I apologize for that. But maybe you have too, and you haven't even noticed how sporadic I was. I hope so. I think you and I are going to get along just fine. Well, I am uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada tonight, just for one night, one night only. Got in this evening. Uh, I'm giving my penultimate keynote address for the digital government conferences, the summits that I've been uh, attending all over the country this year. I think this is going to be date number 32, 31 or 32 for me this year, which is a lot of out-of-town gigs for me. So my penultimate penultimate date is tomorrow morning. So uh, I'm just here doing a few odds and ends and getting ready to do that speech. It's pretty easy for me to do now. I can kind of get up in the morning and do my daily ablutions, have my quick breakfast, take the elevator downstairs, deliver the talk, and then get to the airport. That's uh, the way it's been going, and I've been meeting all kinds of people, and it's been really, really pretty cool experience. I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. Don't enjoy Las Vegas very much. I'm in my room. I've been in my room since I got here. Uh, my room, which is decorated in, uh, this is the Renaissance Las Vegas Hotel, but it does not uh, have any kind of Florentine motif or anything from the Italian Renaissance. No, it's the Renaissance of of gambling, I guess. And even in my room, which is not very decorated, it has, every all the artwork is gambling-related, just in case you forget where you are and what you should be doing <laughs> with your money i.e. giving it to other people for no exchange whatsoever. The thing that always amuses me and and kind of makes me cry inside about Las Vegas is that they're trying so hard. They're trying so hard here. Uh, Not just this hotel, but all the hotels, all the casinos, the whole environment here, trying so hard to convince you that they are giving you so much, that they are giving you beyond the beyond, that they are exchanging with you in complete abundance and that you should be grateful to have this experience because you're getting the very best of the very best. And in reality, I just don't think it's true. Not my experience. Although, I must say that some of the shows I've seen here have been pretty terrific. But along the way, the excitement, the fun, the glory of Las Vegas is a hollow thing. But they're trying to make it seem like it's the end all. And, uh, you know, it just isn't. It just isn't. And I guess most people know that. I came in on a plane full of people who were dying to get to Las Vegas that were so happy. They were all in their early 30s, I think. I saw them in Burbank Airport. I didn't ask what group they were with. They were with some, I don't know, they may have even worked for the airport or worked for some company uh, altogether. They were all in the bar to begin with, and you could just tell they were very, very happy to be together. They were having beers. Or I felt like they were not a social group so much as a work group because they were all very you know, polite with one another and having a great time and uh, making good-natured jokes. And Boy, they got on the back of the plane, and I was really happy that I decided to sit in the middle of the plane because they occupied the entire uh, back half of the Southwest flight I was on. And they were just so excited to get going. And when the plane was taken off, they were cheering. And when it stopped because they couldn't take off, we had to sit there for a while. They were disappointed. And they were playing games and, and just yelling and calling out to one another. And 
Oh my lord! And uh, I was I was just glad it was not a a really bumpy flight, or else they they would have been like people at a roller coaster, you know, screaming and yelling and and. Uh, I could tell they were just very enthusiastic. And then when we landed, there was another cheer went up and then they all got off and they were playing loud music somehow on some sort of boom box. And it was just a really good time. I'm sure they had a wonderful time tonight, wherever they went. I didn't see them after that. But uh, anyway, I couldn't share that enthusiasm. Uh, although there's much to recommend Las Vegas. I just I just can't think of what it is. Oh my, last time I spent any time here it was with America's Got Talent. Perhaps that has colored a bit my uh, my affections or lack of for Las Vegas. I didn't have a very good time here. I mostly had to wait around. Mostly, almost entirely had to wait around and not not perform, not do too much. Uh, we contestants in the show were, you know, we had, were kind of kept in a big conference room and uh, really had to stay there most of the day and uh, wait for something that was going to happen that never happened and and look conserving now and then a person would come in and make an announcement all right the judges are considering you now okay there you have to imagine that the judges are looking at your tapes and they're they're evaluating you and they're thinking about whether you're going to move on so i want everyone to look worried everyone no laughing look sad look concerned very concerned of course if you want to make a room full of people laugh and smile just tell them tell them that they're the judges are thinking of them and that they should look concerned and sad not to laugh. That's the easiest way to get everybody very, very cheerful. Anyway, that was that was a long time ago. That was in another lifetime. America's Got Talent experience now is several years old, and uh, I've done several things since then. My TV series Impress Me, which then launched two of our young stars into popular zombie shows and launched me into a speaking career. Who knows where I'll be next year? I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what career I'm going to have next year. It seems to change every year, which is, you know, as long as you don't look at it too closely, it's, it's pretty pleasant. I get to be different things and wear different hats, and sometimes I travel, sometimes I stay at home, sometimes I stay in a booth. You know, sometimes I don't move out of this back half of my house. So we're going to see what's going to happen, and I, I'm just not worried. I'm just not worried at all. Had a wonderful holiday. Thanksgiving was great. It was just me, my mom, Marion, uh, my wife, Tamara, and my daughter. And we went down to San Diego, and we had a heck of a time together. We played Yahtzee. We went to the movies. What did we see? We saw, oh, we saw Everest, which is an extremely well-made movie that looks like it was shot on Everest. I think it probably was, but just not at the elevations that would, you know, kill you. But still, some pretty rugged uh, rugged climate up there and some just incredible filmmaking. I honestly don't know how, don't know how they did it. Uh, and it told that story very well. A story I realized I'd read, uh, Into Thin Air, it seems to be what it's based on. And, uh, well, it was, it was bone-chilling. It was bone-chilling in more ways than one. Anyway, I recommend Everest very much. But my mom, she's doing great. She's 87. She's just so much fun. And I learned a lot about her, uh, again, I always do, when we do things together. And uh, we all learned a lot about each other, I think, by playing the game Yahtzee. You can tell a lot about a person by how they play the game Yahtzee, I find. You know, my mom was just throw caution to the wind, you know. Do whatever, you know, scoop them up any old which way and, and go for this. And I don't think she really was 
quite as in command, uh, a full grasp of the rules as the rest of us. Uh, but she just had a kind of a brio and enthusiasm about throwing those dice and loading them back in the cup and taking wild chances that was really something to see. My wife, on the other hand, she was very meticulous, it seemed. You know, even though it's a game of chance, she would just sort of... I would say she played a rather conservative game. Uh, I I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm too close to my own game to judge what it is. I'm sure it's uh, uh, indicative of uh, all kinds of neuroses. Uh, but my daughter had a great way of playing, and she just sort of decided, and I've seen her do this many times, she just decides to get a Yahtzee. And, uh, and I've noticed her doing that in life quite often. She gets the equivalent of a Yahtzee every now and then. Some great big job or opportunity will land in her lap out of nowhere just when she needs it. And I have a lot of respect for that. I think if you can pull that off, you know, that's you're doing something right. She does that with bocce and other games that we play, and uh, and she does it with, the, with Yahtzee, and so she was the big winner. She took no prisoners. She did very, very well, and uh, I, I was not so good. Anyway, playing games with family. You know, that's something that's kind of dropped out, or I don't know what the families play these days. Video games, I can't imagine they play Halo together, or uh, Call of Duty. But uh, playing those old board games, you know, I'd love to go back and see... Uh, videos that didn't exist in my time of, of me. We used to play games at my dad's house all the time, and I'm sure there was just our personalities were just were just being dramatized, you know, to the utmost uh, acrobatically by those games. I hope you had a good holiday, and I hope you got some games in too. Uh, and we got Christmas coming up, and uh, and Kwanzaa, of course, and Ramadan, as well as Hanukkah. So that's uh, going to be a kind of an interesting period. Uh, work-wise, I think things are going to shut down pretty good. I've got a big uh, charity show I'm going to perform in in just a couple days in Hollywood at the Celebrity Center. There where I've been doing uh, the MC duties of this uh, Christmas Stories charitable event two nights a year uh, for over 20 years. I don't know, 21, 22, 23 years, something like that. A long time. So it's a great tradition. I love to go. My whole family performs and uh, a lot of celebrities are there, and it's going to be really super fun. So I'm going to do that. One of the celebrities that I usually work with, the guy that's directing the show, he's a celebrity to me anyway, who always will be, is Mr. Tate Rupert. Tate, who you, uh, if you've listened to my podcast before, you've heard Tate and I doing improvised uh, sketches and so forth. And, oh, what's it? Oh, well, here's one now. Welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll Pack Rad. Hi, I'm Nick Zesko. We've got a terrific guest on board uh, here. I uh, want to talk to Naro Robles. I've been trying to get to Nar for quite a while. Uh, he's uh, one of the great collectors of, uh, of rock and roll, a little known and kind of an untouched area of rock and roll. Uh, Nar, you're on the line. Uh, man, it is oh, great, to finally, great to finally connect with you, man. Oh, it's great to connect with you. I, you know, I love your program so much and I have for many many years you know i listen to you on the road a lot right on man right on well i know you're not on the road as much as you used to be you used to be one of the most uh, successful and well-traveled uh, roadies uh, uh, in the history of rock and roll or or music or anything like that and so i know that uh, the road dust has kind of dropped off you uh, lately but um 
You you got a new enterprise now. I want I want you to tell everybody that's listening about the new enterprise you got about the the museum that you started and all that because it's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I, I, I opened up uh, my own, uh, but it, it, it's uh, we finally got all the funding done. It's all done. It's the uh, Rock and Roll uh, Cable Museum, and uh, it's it's my own museum, and it's devoted to all the cables. And uh, Nar, it's not just your cables, right? There's celebrity cables, and uh, you had one of the greatest, most vast collection of uh, amplifier cables, and. Uh, well, yeah. What other kind of yeah. cables are there? I'm only familiar with amp cables, but there's guitar cables and what else? Well, we have uh, we have guitar cables, uh, organ cables, uh, a lot of microphone cables. Oh, right on. Uh, and now I also have included it just because it's important. Uh, uh, electrical outlets and and uh, you know the receptacles that these cables go into. Wow. You know, a lot of a lot of people talk about amplifiers. Yeah. A lot of people talk about guitars and their instruments, but you know, as you know, uh, I am a roadie, and and the road from the sound, as I used to say, the road from the sound to the audience is through a cable. Let me ask you something, Arm, I and mean, that's righteous. Uh, you you obviously started collecting early on in your career. I know you were a roadie for uh, for Gary and the Misanthropes uh, back there, and yeah, uh, Gary. in Rhode Island, right? When you were just uh, in high school. Yeah. Yeah. You you. Yeah. You pretended that you knew. You know, I read this thing that you wrote one time. You said you pretended that you knew all about being a roadie, and, and you really were scared down to down to your steel tip boots. And uh, but you must have got some cables. Yeah. You must have got some cables back then. Oh yeah, I, I you know I kept those cables back then. And as you know, Gary and the Misanthropes uh, was just it was just he and two other guys, and uh, they all played guitar. There were no drums mm-hmm. in that band whatsoever. Wow. And uh, there was three guitars, and each of them wanted three amplifiers for each guitar uh-huh. so if you do the math uh just guitar cables alone that's like nine cables nine cables and, yeah, uh, i was just about to reach yeah. that and, conclusion uh, and, and when they broke up uh they said to me they said hey we don't need the cables anymore because you know we're out and so they said you want the cables and i said yeah i'll take the cables so are those i didn't a, know how to play the guitar and then yeah uh, but I, you I, knew I, how to coil a cable i, I guess pretty good I knew how to coil cable, sure, you know, because my father was a fisherman, and you know he was always great with nets and lines. So well, I, I gave I, you a I real, knew. I gave you a real advantage, and that's great. So that's the oldest cable you have, or you have, have you also acquired some of the older, uh, um, you know, because you go on eBay now, you can find all kinds of stuff. I, I imagine as a collector, you might have some pretty old ones. Yeah, um, I, uh, I uh, got an old cable from Ewell and the Stump Singers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you remember you and the stuff I, I confess I don't. Were they were they out of uh, where like Arkansas? They were out of Augusta, Michigan. Oh, okay. And uh, and uh, you and the stuff singers and uh, they had uh, you know I got this off of eBay. Yeah, that was just as you know electronic uh, guitars were coming into the fold. Right. And uh, they uh, had one cable and uh, I bought it on eBay for I think six dollars and ninety five cents. Wow. So now in your You'll, let me, see let me, that. You'll see that at the museum. Yeah, let's talk about the museum a little bit, because how, how are you displaying these cables? Because I mean, when you think about it, I get the mental image of a cable. I mean, it's just sitting there in a coil, or maybe you're hanging it up. Or do you try to replicate what it might look like in action? Yeah, that's what I tried to do. And uh, I, uh, so is it like hanging in midair? Or what? <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what a cable would look like. without. I imagine you don't have guitars, you don't have mannequins and stuff like that, or do you? No, I, I don't. I, I have milk crates that represent the amplifier okay and then i'll just uh, have that you know go to it and then go to where uh gary would be standing mm-hmm. or you would be you know would have been standing 
and um, so you imagine it's a it's a it's a museum of imagination. Mm-hmm. You go in there, it's quiet. You know, I don't have any music going on, and uh, you know, people can feel what what music must have been going through these cables. It's very spiritual. Wow, wow, that's right on, man. I can I can feel it right through the right through the phone line. I mean, that's how that's how effective it yeah. is. So uh, you know, get some are coiled. You know, some are coiled. I have to coil some of them. Oh and, yeah. And frankly, there's a smell to a lot of them. There's a cable aroma. Is that right? Is that yeah, well, like a uh, cable aroma that its own like neoprene smell? But you know, okay. a lot of these bands I worked with, uh, they were you know they were hard drinking and uh, you know they they didn't they stepped on them. They didn't care much of them. Uh, right, right. I'm sure a lot of cigarette butts and what have you. Yeah. So there is a stench that comes off of some of them. Yeah, sure. Because it's not common, as I understand it. You know, from what I know about rock and roll. For guys, uh, roadies, or anybody else, to clean those cables after a gig, and you know, like if you think about uh, Willie Nelson's band or any of these bands that tour around where people are just throwing beer, you know, willy nilly at the stage, you know, those cables are getting right. all kinds of getting a real patina, different kinds of beverages and body fluids and somewhat, and, and people just don't, they don't, they don't think to clean that. So I, that must no. definitely come through. No, no, not at all. And, and now I must mention though, it's it's a this museum is important because, as you know, a lot of your big rock acts now, uh, cables are on their way out, you know. Uh, you got wireless mics. Is that right? You got wireless guitars. And, wow. Uh, you know, the cables really are are nostalgic, and that's why I think people are really, really going to love this. Sonar, you got, obviously the museum has to be inside something. Did you get a, a pretty cool location for it, and uh, where, what kind of building is it? I have connected uh, four outdoor trailers you know, of sleeper trailers, um, and fashioned it into, that's the museum. And, uh, uh you know, cause that's why, you know, that would be like where the musicians would stay backstage in their little trailers. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. where the museum is. Oh, okay. You know, so it evokes so. the whole spirit of the whole zeitgeist of the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get it. Wow. So then, uh, is yeah. it, is it a, is it movable? Is it a movable feast as it were? I mean, can you guys just pick up and start those, trailers yeah. and get them going or do you just leave them in one yeah, place we can get we can get them going and, and uh you know once the museum uh we get we pick up speed once the museum gets rolling so mm-hmm. to speak it, it will roll you mm-hmm. know and that'll you know the spirit because you know as you know i've not been out on the road in a long time and it'll right. be good to get out on the road again yeah yeah my museum wow. and we'll park it in uh several places and okay. uh tourist attractions and uh and we're going to take it up to altamont Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna take it certainly to San Francisco. Well, we'll, but we'll just you know we'll tour with it. So you're gonna you're going full circle with some of these cables. That's that's awesome. Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly. Let me yeah. ask you about yeah. extension cords now, because uh, that's of course a big part uh, of the roadie's life is extension cords. Uh, you got some. Uh, I understand you got a, an extension cord. One of the first extension cords that Bob Dylan ever pl- ever used. Yeah, yeah. At Monterey Pop Festival, mm-hmm. uh, he needed an extension cord. He needed a 12 footer, uh-huh. and uh, I had I had a I had a nine footer available for oh, him. Oh boy! I only got a nine footer, and he looked at me and he said, "That's all right. I'll move three feet closer." That's the kind of guy yeah. he was on the road for sure. Wow, that's a great story. And I'm looking at your uh, website now. You got Bill Haley in the comments here. You got uh, wow. You got Prince. You got Paul McCartney old yeah. cables. You got and now is this an Elvis cable that he used himself? That's an Elvis. Yeah, he used that himself. That's an Elvis cable. That's from the 67 show. And I tell you, he didn't give a darn about it when the show was done. He was so famous. But I took that cable and I said, this cable is going to mean something. And that's one of the prize pieces. And, 
And I'll tell you, a lot of the youngsters, they love the Partridge Family cables. They're still in great shape. Wow, wow. And now, is there any, uh, you know, I read there are certain cables by certain, that were used by certain bands that have a kind of a curse attached to them. There was a, a Led Zeppelin right. came in, a cable. Am I, am I right. speaking out of turn? Is that true? No, not at all. And in fact, they, uh, they, they called it the, the Shocking Snake. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and there were certain cables that huh. they would not allow. It was part of their contract rider. They said, no, we can't need this. We don't want that cable because we know that cable uh, shocked the hell out of John Paul Jones uh -huh. in 1971. So wow. that's off limits. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's other a... acts like Bad, Bad Company, they wanted that. They, want, they said, give okay. me the cable that shocked John Paul Jones. Okay, look at that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right on. Well, listen, man, um, I cannot wait to get there. I know that, um, uh, how many, now what's the number of cables? Is it in the thousands now, or, or how does that figure out? Yeah, I have uh, 1,267 cables. Wow, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, you're going to have people, I know that uh, once the word gets out about this, you're going to have people coming, rock and roll fans coming from all over the world, check out those cables, and uh, I, I reckon you got a gift shop where people can buy replicas uh -huh. of these cables, is that right? Oh, you can buy replicas of the cables, you can buy wristbands, that are made out, you know, from cable and uh, necklaces. And uh, I even have, uh, you know, like the little flip-flops, thong flip-flops, where you keep uh -huh. the bands or cables. You know, I'm just trying to do oh, as wow. much as I can wow. to keep the spirit of rock and roll alive. Wow, you're really doing it. Well, Nar thanks so much for talking to us, man. Stay cool, all, all right? Thanks so much. I look forward to seeing you really soon. Rock and roll. I love throwing things at Tate. He uh, he never fails to deliver. Uh, we don't rehearse those things. We just uh, we think of ideas during the week, and then we couldn't even get together. He was uh, in another part of the world. I was I forget where he was. I forget where I was. But uh, I called him up and just recorded it over the phone, which you can do these days. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. More to come. So. Um, I've been, uh, you know, been going through something lately that I wanted to kind of verbalize and share with you, and uh, this may or may not mean anything to you. I may or may or may not express it very well, but I suddenly realized that the kind of the kind of individuals that that interest me, that I'm drawn to, uh, you know, in history and literature and and so forth, of course, mirror some some part of my own existence, and, and perhaps you've experienced this too with yourself. The things you're interested in, the kind of people you're interested in, are they're kind of like you. You know, it makes sense. The life you're creating, you know, actively, that's that's what you're interested in. I've seen some documentaries lately. Uh, one was called uh, "Searching for Sugarman," which is fairly famous now about an an artist who was very iconoclastic, very off on his own, very marched to the beat of his own drum. And uh, really didn't take off in this country, was relatively unknown, sort of faded into oblivion. Unbeknownst to him, he was a superstar in a distant land in South Africa, where he was a legendary figure who everyone there had thought had died, had killed himself, in fact, on stage. Fascinating story. Bears no relation to my life at all, but uh, is this a person who's kind of off on his own? Read another interesting um Watched another interesting video that I like very much. I watch a lot of documentaries, and there's a really good one called An Honest Liar, 
which is about the amazing Randy, who's a terrific magician and a mentor to magicians and a, a debunker. He was a uh, the debunker of of Yuri Geller and uh, fascinating, really well done documentary. Anyway, there's several people like that that I find myself just sort of drawn to. And then I started thinking about J.D. Salinger, who's perhaps the ultimate iconoclastic, off-on-his-own, isolated, uh, mad genius. And I picked up a copy in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, just a few weeks ago, of his famous Nine Stories. Nine Stories by J.D. Salinger. Quiet little paperback. I think I got the exact edition that my father had had in his house that was, you know, essentially just loose pages. And this one was just on the verge of it. I got it for a couple of bucks in a used bookstore. I found it almost as if I was being drawn to it by spirits. I found this book, which is exactly what I was looking for. And I was shocked to find when I, when I read these stories, all of which I had read many, many times, it was shocking to me that I did not remember really any of them. You couldn't tell me what Uncle Wiggily in Connecticut was about. I knew kind of what The Laughing Man was about, and I knew that I'd read Teddy, but I didn't know what it was about, really. Fascinating stories, very well written, very well wrought, and uh, with this kind of melancholy edge, all in this madman kind of, you know, late 50s, early 60s milieu, if I may use a French word. Terrific, interesting read, and, and nostalgic for me. And, and And in it, there were little nuggets in these stories, little things that somebody said or little observations that the authors made that I realized I've been carrying with me unlabeled uh, for years, for decades. Uh, Like when I go into the water in the ocean and I'm easing my way into the ocean, I invariably, when I am trying to leap over a little wave, uh, if I'm with another person, I'll say, I'll snub it. I'll say that. I'll say, eh, See this wave coming? I'll snub it. Or I'll make some sort of illusion like that. I've said it for so many years, and it's been such a part of my thinking. But it was completely unexamined. And then when I was reading uh, the short story, A Perfect Day for Banana Fish by J.D. Salinger, that's what the character says when he's pushing this little girl out on a raft to enjoy some fun in the water. And, and he says, well, we'll snub it. And I went, oh my God, that's that that became part of my my lexicon, my vocabulary, whatever, as silly as it is. But but the weird thing was that I didn't remember that. I didn't go, well, well, whenever I say that, that's from this book. So I began to get really interested in Salinger because obviously he'd had a bigger part of my, you know, I read him as a lot of young people do at a rather influential time or impressionable time in their life. So and I read all the stories, and then I started going on YouTube. Well, where is he interviewed? And I knew he'd been a very secretive person. And I stumbled upon a video by a woman who uh, had been had had an affair with him when she was about eighteen or nineteen, and he was about my age now, maybe a little younger, but still. And, and it was shocking the fact that he had had this this affair with her, and then dumped her very unceremoniously. Anyway, she wrote a book. So I read that book, and I came away with a very, I don't know. Once again, you know, sometimes you have a hero of one kind or another, and if you dig too closely into their personal life, you get severely disappointed because they turn out to be just as crazy as as the craziest person you ever heard of. It's a little bit of the Bill Cosby thing all over again. It's like, oh, my God, this guy I thought was such a genius. He is a genius on this channel, but if you change the channel, bang, 
There he is doing something just really, really reprehensible over and over again. Not that J.D. Salinger was drugging people. He wasn't, but he had affairs with a lot of young women, much, much younger than him, and he, and he used his fame and his acerbic wit and his uh, you know overinflated intelligence to kind of bash them and batter them. And where He didn't harm them physically. He certainly harmed them psychically. You didn't expect to hear this when you tuned into my, my podcast. But anyway, I was thinking about that a lot. I was thinking about people that are remarkable and who kind of work by themselves. And and I started to get a little, little introverted about it, frankly, because most of the stuff I do, including this podcast, I do it alone. I do it with no permission from anybody, no guidance. Uh, maybe that's a bad thing. And uh, I just sort of throw it out in the world. And I've had enormous successes, and then I've had a lot of things that just lay there like a lox. But it's a big part of my life. Uh, and so I do enjoy working with teams. I enjoy being in a play. I like being in a show. I like that kind of thing. But uh, more often than not, I'm sort of off on my own. And I think that is partly me and partly a sign of the times. I read recently that more people live alone now on this planet than ever have in the history of Earth because they can because they can live in an apartment by themselves. They can take care of themselves. There's automation has uh, infiltrated our lives to a degree so that you don't have to deal with people very much. You can make do for yourself very easily and not even have to interact much. And that's interesting, and that's an advance in some ways, and it's also just paralyzingly sad in other ways. But uh, you're not alone right now. You're listening to me, and I feel like I'm in some way connected to you. I got a nice... Uh, I guess it was a, a tweet from a, a fan, uh, someone who was uh, listening to me in India. And so, Sufian from India, if you are listening and if you've listened this far, uh, thanks so much for your encouraging uh, uh, tweet that you wrote to me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that you that you listen, uh, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you'll uh, pick up some of the audiobooks I've narrated. Uh, I've got a really great one. And I recommend this for everybody. It's a good Christmas present for people who, uh, in your life that listen to audiobooks. There's a wonderful autobiography of Moss Hart, the playwright Moss Hart, called Act One, which I narrated. It's 17 hours of his life story of how he became a playwright and how he had his first hit on Broadway. And uh, boy, that is, a, that is a roller coaster story. It's funny. It's well written. I enjoyed narrating it so much. I think anyone would enjoy it, particularly if you have writers or creative people in your life that... Uh, that like to listen to audiobooks, so uh, check it out. Hey, I'll get back to you real soon. Enjoy the holiday season. It's almost on us. Do your shopping early. If you go to uh, audible.com and uh, type in my name, Jim Meskimen, you can see all the books I've been involved in or books I've narrated and directed, and they might be perfect for someone in your life that really wants to enjoy a nice story. And I will see you very soon. Thanks to Tate Rupert for the improv. Thanks to Jeff Levin, as always, for the cool music. And uh, I'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for listening.